0: It's the 11 Dubcast. Usually, you know, usually when I have this intro, I've got to adjust the volume down because I like busting. I'm like, hey, it's the 11 Dubcast, everybody. I'm Johnny. He's Andy. Uh, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm going to have to do that this time. I'm a little maudlin right now. I'm a little, a little sad, a little, a little down, Andy. How are you feeling after, yeah, after the it, twin uh, butt punches of this past weekend?
1: I mean, I think there's an argument to be made that it may have been the worst sports week ever for the city of Columbus, <laughs> as uh, the Buckeyes bad. fall not only in the Fiesta Bowl to the vile, foul, uh, wicked forces <laughs> of evil in the Clemson Tigers, uh, but also the Buckeye basketballers drop one. To the Mountaineers of West Virginia, and then, and then, as if that weren't enough, the Blue Jackets get hosed in a call that sent Torts uh, into a, a fuming rant uh, in the yeah. press conference afterward. And and not only that, but uh, uh, maybe a goalie injury that's gonna, yeah, wow, yeah, it's like so, okay, insult to injury. Really well, it was, yeah, it's great. To, so anyway, I think there's an argument to be made. This
0: is one of the all time bad sports weekends in Columbus history, at least in recent memory. <laughs> maybe in Columbus history. But I got to tell you something, Bengals won. So any consolation prize, I'll find it. And, and by the way, that was my dream scenario, that the Bengals secure the uh, the first overall pick in the NFL draft and then go on to humiliate the Browns in the final game of the season. So that is, Fred that is one way of fired in
1: the process.
0: I mean, that's big that's business right. right there. That's right. So, and you know what? That's the other thing. Browns can complain about. Browns fans are like, oh, man. It, we helped you out. All right, relax. The Bengals helped you out. That's what you wanted. You're going to get a new coach. Ideally, things will be better. And the Bengals will continue to be just garbage and god-awful for the foreseeable future. So, the universe is as it should be in the NFL. But in college football, it just kind of sucks a lot. <laughs> You know, here's the thing. I let me let me posit this. I would assume that if you're listening to this podcast, you pretty much know what happened in the Fiesta Bowl. So I don't feel the need to go by it blow by blow and say all the individual things that happened and whatnot. But I do want to. I want to dive a little bit into it because I think that Andy and I have some takes that you may not have heard, or maybe angles on certain things that uh, haven't been quite approached yet. So let's let's talk about the major, significant things that happened. And, of course, I'm referring to a lot of the refereeing decisions. I'm referring to uh, some of the things that happen with regard to, like, you know, uh, the final drives and things like that. So we'll get into that a little bit, and then we'll move on to other, hopefully, slightly more positive things. But I want to start with the game itself when it comes to, um, I don't know... It, <laughs> I want let's start at the beginning let's start at the top of this Andy because I going into this game felt that this was a coin flip and pretty much that's what was born out right that that's what came out of this game is that you saw two teams that were pretty evenly matched Ohio State got screwed in a lot of ways but honestly at no point in this game did I think that like one team was going to dominate the other team even when Ohio State was up 16 nothing I was like there's got to be this, the the flow of this the tide's going to turn a little bit here
1: we were talking about that in slack. I think during the game, you, you raised that point a couple times. I went back after the game and went back to the uh, round table. We do with the staff every week before the game to kind of see what, what did I say I thought was going to happen. And it was funny, my, I guess, predictions, if you will, the last question we always ask is, is, you know, score prediction and MVP. And so my MVP pick was JK Dobbins. And I think there's absolutely uh, a case to be made that, you know, for the Buckeyes in a loss, Dobbins was the standout with his, you know, really fantastic rushing, particularly in the first quarter um, and and set, you know, Ohio State records in the process The first running back in OSU history to cross the 2000 yard mark in a single season, which is mind blowing passing Eddie George on the all time uh, rushing career yardage leader. Again, mind blowing stat there. Uh, but, but you know, I, I thought going into it, there was going to be a close game. I had the Buckeyes coming out, you know, with a, a win. I think 35-27 maybe was my predicted score. So I wasn't super far off in kind of the magnitude of the game. What I didn't expect was that basically nothing would go Ohio State's way in terms yeah. of, you know, kind of the, the 50-50 things, the breaks, the, the calls, um, you know, and I'm not even talking about the blown calls, but just like literally nothing went. Ohio state's way and those kind of things that you say, well, flip a coin and there's going to be some momentum shift. The the tigers got all the breaks you could ask them to, to get. And and it felt like at times Ohio state got none. Uh, we knew it was going to be a dogfight. You're right about that. I think anybody that went into it thinking Ohio state will blow Clemson out of the water was smoking the peyote. Um, that just was not a realistic expectation going into the ball game. I think,
0: you know, I, it's frustrating, words. though, because you look at it and you're like, all right, well, yes, it was going to be a dogfight, but Ohio State was right there. It was right in front of them to win the game. And even even with all that ridiculous crap that happened throughout the game, even with the bad calls and the bounces and all that stuff, you have the opportunity to win the game. You get down into your opponent's red zone, and it just it doesn't go your way. And you know, there's a miscommunication between Alave and Fields. He throws an interception um and that's that's that And it, it sucks it sucks for a few reasons it sucks because i hate losing to clemson and i don't like davis Sweeney, and i don't like uh just the general vibe around the program and i just i don't know obviously from a personal standpoint not a big fan of the dude or the program but it sucks because like i don't know it, when you have a season this good when you have a season where ohio state it's not like they didn't battle adversity at any point in time, but they they overcame it. And so when you see a team do that kind of stuff and improve their metal, um in really tough situations throughout the season, you want them to go on and do something after the season's over. And yeah, they've got the Big Ten Championship, but man, just getting at least one game in the playoff I think would have gone a long way towards a kind of putting a satisfying end to the season, even if they had lost the national championship, it it would have felt like, okay, this is the accomplishment. They can kind of hang their hat on and you just ran into a buzzsaw, maybe in the championship or something. But it just feels kind of hollow a little bit. It feels like all that stuff that came before was kind of like, you know, not as significant. Um, in the light of this loss, and that's re- really is a shame because it was a great season. It was a really, really awesome season, and it sucks that this kind of this loss takes away from that a little bit, or at least feels like it.
1: I yeah, and the the question was posed, I think, uh, Reddit CFB on their on their Twitter feed uh, asked the question after the game: you know, which Clemson, which loss to Clemson? Now Ohio State falls to zero and four right. uh, against the forces of evil, and and they asked the question. You know which loss was the worst? You know, going back to uh, Woody Slugging, Charlie Bauman, even in right. uh, Gator Bowl, and you know the thing I thought about as I looked through those losses, and and um, as you and I are recording this, the the poll on 11 dot com asks about which title ending, uh, title run ending loss. Of the past, you know, what is that? Six years going back to 2013, Michigan State. Which one stings the most? And I thought about this. You know, if you look at the the Clemson loss, it uh, was it 40 35 there, um, and that one you said, well, I I put that one on Urban Meyer, and it was like, okay, r- give Hyde the ball. So we kept trying to you know do cutesy poo things with Braxton Miller. So you walked away with that and say, well, that it stinks to lose, but you understood why it happened. You look at. Right. Um, uh, e- even the ridiculous losses at Iowa and Purdue that kept Ohio State out of the playoffs—you say, well, okay, um, sometime, those are almost you know funny. Like it's hard F- to get really right. mad about F- that. Yeah, fluky games happen, and yeah. you know it's the Purdue loss. I was like, it was the t- Tyler Trent game. You know what? Hey, that just wasn't meant to be, and yeah. and you move on. Even the thirty-one to nothing loss to Clemson, while that was embarrassing and it felt like a gut punch, Woody Hayes always said nothing cleanses the soul like a good hind part kicking right so you'd say okay you got blown out you were never going to win that game because clemson was the better team and and good things came of that loss because it brought in ryan day because there was an obvious overhaul then of the offensive staff because the offensive you know staff just was bad that season right so you you look at all those games this one stings because a you outplayed the tigers more or less the whole game um, and and B, you felt like, hey, Ohio State got hosed, um, and there are several different calls that we could talk about. Um, one in particular, where I think the consensus nationally is now, yeah, it was a game-changing call that should not have been overturned. What, that, let's that took let's points off right board. into that.
0: Let's let's do a little segue right into that because I you as you mentioned before we started recording, you know, there there have been people have come out, you know, Big Ten and other, you know, officiating organizations come out and said, yeah, that was the wrong decision. They screwed up. Uh, they made a mistake. Um, here's what I'm going to posit. And, and I I want to, I want to put this to people and I want them to think about it because this to me speaks to a larger issue with officiating in college football and maybe football at large, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to go back and I want you to watch a replay of that clip, because God knows I've seen it at least 100 times at this point, right? Like I just had the gif on a loop where I was just like, what the hell are they looking at? And if you look at the play, if you watch the play, there is some movement of the football. And essentially what happens is that after the catch, you see the Clemson wide receiver. He's, he's got the ball. He's trying to secure it and bring it into his body. Now, he's got it in his hands. He's clearly got control of the ball, but he doesn't have this, like, vice-like grip where he doesn't intend to ever move the ball from that position. He's clearly trying to move it into his body. And as a result, the ball isn't just, like, staying completely stationary. Now, to me, <laughs> that's more than enough to say that's a catch because obviously he had control of it. He took several steps with it. It's not like the ball was bouncing around and he didn't have like, you know, the ability to dictate where the ball was going to go on the field. He, he clearly had possession, but that is what I think the referees were looking at. I think they saw the ball having some kind of minute, slight movement and said, Oh, there you go. It's clear. He doesn't have possession because it wasn't like super glued to his hands. Once he caught the ball, and because of that, they're like, well, then that's a clear indicator that you don't have cons- you don't have possession and therefore any of the steps that you took weren't football moves. My point with all of this is to say that I really think that I believe the same thing that John Tortorella does, which is that replay is screwing us over yeah. in ways that we didn't foresee when we started instituting it about 15 years ago. And it's crazy to me because... If you don't have replay, if you see it in real time, maybe you don't have HD cameras or something like that. You just see like a really like a crappy field level view or whatever. It's obviously a catch. There's there's no debating about it. But because you can see the little minute movements within someone's grip as they are like possessing the ball and running with it, that's going to be enough to overturn the play. And that's what's really wild about this to me, because. I can see why they overturned it. Like I, I honestly can. I can see. I under. I understand it. It's just stupid as hell. But it yeah. sucks because that's where we're at with how this all works out.
1: I'm going to take the contrarian take on the the why they you know why they did it, uh, seeing why they did. It. I I think it's absolutely ridiculous that they overturned it like to me sure it's, uh, it's absolutely co- ridiculous but co- co- I, I, what i'm saying andy oh, what I'm, I'm saying to, andy is that's why i, I think they did i'll it. cover that in a minute because i'm I'm 100 okay. with you on that one um but i'm going to beat this dead horse first and that's sure. that's and and a bigger problem before we even get to replay the definition of a catch like there's at least <laughs> one and maybe two games at both the college and the nfl levels What, every season for the last how many now, where you've had a game where we all walk away saying, what the hell is a catch? Because no one can define it. You know what? He had the bloody ball in his hand and took four steps with it. It's a catch. Like like any definition that makes sense to a sane, rational human being, it's a catch. Bigger problem I have with them overturning it is that whole thing. I mean, they beat it over the head. There's got to be, you know, incontrovertible video evidence or whatever indisputable video evidence, and so on. Right. And that just isn't there. or that film thing, that thing you all all you want get, to, you know, Michigan man, and start drawing lines on the field and so on and so forth. <laughs> uh, it's not, you know, it was a catch. Now, to your bigger point, so two two points come out of that. One, for the good of the game of football the powers that be that broker this stuff have got to figure out a catch is a bloody catch and stop making it the 27 articles of war about how you define a catch and what is a football move and this and that and, and completing the process of the catch and so on and so forth. I mean, you could even go back to the Dobbins drop in the end zone. You know, if he's a running back, the nose of the ball just has to touch the front edge oh, of the man. white line. And it's a it touchdown me but because how he's left a left receiver left. Yeah, and the ground, you know, a ground can't cause a fumble except in right. that situation. The ball right. came out because it
0: hit the bloody ground. Right. right. That extremely like, specific situation. Yeah. 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 Actually so, I was listening to 97.1, which by the way, Andy and I guest hosted <laughs> the 11 words uh, radio hour uh, radio two hours <laughs> on uh, Sunday morning with Chris. Uh But one of the things that Bobby Carpenter pointed out is like, look, you know, if he makes that catch in the end zone, that'll be considered a touchdown, right? Yes. Like yes. that'll be. So if he's got two feet down and he goes, you know, and he, takes three steps, and he has it in his possession the way that looked, and then it got batted out, that would have been considered a touchdown. Right. So, <laughs> therefore, you can't say that it's not a catch on the field. And and what's wild, with, again, what's really frustrating about it is because they felt that there was a preponderance of evidence to overturn that call when the call on the field was a catch, fumble, fumble recovery, and then touchdown. And and for, I don't know, the, the, the standard has to be way higher than I think what it's been set at. And I don't know, man, I think maybe we're just using replay a little too much and and just getting way too in the weeds for things. I understand if it's something where like there is no call that's being able to be made on the field. You know what I mean? Like if it's just it's too close, it's just too close and people can't figure it out. But we're up to the point where every single call is being questioned. And if that's the case, then you're gonna get in a situation like this where it's it's literally just up to whoever's looking at it because yeah, there's gonna be a billion different ways to to interpret the rules. I derailed your point
1: to rant about uh, the egregiousness of what I think is probably the worst uh, call in playoff history with the uh, overturning of that that uh, catch fumble touchdown sequence. But your point I think is really important and kind of gets lost here in in the is the national narrative has very quickly become oh Ohio State fans are sore losers and whining and complaining and you which have they the are hard... but that's fine yeah and you and, <laughs> they have and a right I got into a, a you know a kind of a Twitter thread earlier today where um, you know I'm I'm sharing the the news. I think it was Dennis Dodd at uh, CBS had reported um, you know that the na- incoming national head of officiating said that call should never have been overturned. Right. Um, and you know a, a Twitter follower from outside Ohio State fandom um, said, "Man, you're really beating this dead horse." And and, and my comment was, you know. Uh, both things can be true that Ohio state had a hundred other chances to win the game and that you should be outraged as a fan of the sport, that this injustice was perpetrated by an officiating crew. Like it should. So, so for the good of football, your, your point is right on target. They have to seriously, in addition to, you know, figuring out what the heck a catch is um, they need to look at the role of replay in sports in general, but especially in football, it's lengthened the games. I mean, I think we all felt like the third quarter of that game lasted about 12 months. Oh um, yeah. You know, you go back to the first quarter, the Garrett Wilson um, hands down catch that was reviewed uh, on I think the
0: very, what that very first drive which is also hilarious because a lot of people are like wait that's a catch too? that's a that's a yeah. catch you're yeah. allowed to do that
1: yeah. like, that was a catch but the Dobbins one wasn't and I know. so on and so on. And, and and the yeah. uh, the the overturned one wasn't and yeah right so that but the replay in that or the the review of that catch you know screwed up Ohio State's momentum took the wind out of their sails and ultimately leads to a field goal instead of what looked like a sure touchdown with the play they right. had dialed up so you know that's a big issue it changes the tenor of games and when tempo is so important to the modern game of football and and timing and you saw Ohio State really in the first quarter in particular uh, abuse Clemson with tempo and confuse right. them with tempo and and make things happen with tempo the review process just totally disrupts that in a in a big way and from a fan viewing standpoint it's not making it a better game we spend more time today i'm convinced some of this is because of high definition television and social media don't get me wrong but we spend more time today complaining about officiating in games has officiating gotten better probably if you actually went you know like line by line and looked at games of yesteryear it probably has gotten better but I don't know that our experience as fans, or that the players' experience as players, has has improved enough to justify the the detriments to the game.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree with that, and it's again, it does sound like you know, obviously, you know, sour grapes coming from Ohio State fans, and that's fine. Like I understand people say, well, if you won the game, no, you wouldn't be complaining about any of this, and that that's probably true. But that's because the team would be excited to go and play for a national championship. In a couple weeks but i you know the larger issue for me is you don't want to see a game that that's that that is that exciting and those two teams that are that evenly matched have the outcome influenced by referees particularly if they make a really crappy call and that's what happened at numerous points during the game and it's, it's unfortunate because you know you want to feel like as a team you know the team that you root for did everything that they possibly could to win the game and and i feel like you know they they obviously left some points on the board and things like that but i don't know it it just it felt that i didn't get angry at the end of the game i just felt really hollow because i felt like something had been taken away from them and that's yes. really a frustrating feeling to have so yeah and
1: that's and that's back to that you know we started talking about the which loss hurts more that's that and i was trying to explain that to non-ohio state fans on twitter too like this is why ohio state fans sound so salty about this because this is the one where you don't say hey our play is the reason we didn't win the game. It's it's right. that there were things outside of their control that shouldn't have had an impact on the game. Let's look at the targeting call is the other one where I think college football has to have a real heart to heart with itself. Um, I don't have a problem after again, kind of doing what you said and going back and looking at the tape and, and, yeah. so and so, I don't have a problem with the call that was made that, yeah, he led with the crown and and so on and so forth. I still think there's got to be some, some uh allowance for a quarterback, particularly, you know, a guy the size of Lawrence who isn't gonna get, you know, is not gonna get wrecked by, you know, cornerback coming in like that. But but, you know, he he lowered his crown, it's helmet to helmet contact. I hear the phrase forcible contact by a lot of these rules analysts and so on and so on. Fine, okay. I'll I'll give you that. The bigger issue with the rule, aside from the fact that I'm not sure it's really achieving its intended um intended goals, is this ejection for the infraction is overly punitive.
0: Yeah, I, kind of I mean, and
1: the reason for ejection at the outset that you're wanting to make this a severe, th- you know, we're so concerned about concussions and and the health of of our players um, that we don't want you doing this. I mean, you look at, at Ryan Shazier is a great example, right? There's a guy who put right. his head down, and you know, so I understand why you want to make this, you know, a huge thing for these kids that don't do this. It's bad. But man alive, incidental contact with the quarterback and the team's arguably you know, one, of the, one of the two or three best players on the field out for the rest of the game, had a huge impact on the game. Right. So I don't have a problem with the call. I have a problem with the rule. I think you could argue the call, but, but I'll, I'll set that aside because there were more egregious calls. But the rule is a big problem. And I, I think just along with the replay thing, they've got to look at that for the kind of the good of the game. Well, and the thing about the
0: targeting thing is that like with the LSU player who basically was just going head hunting right against Oklahoma,
1: yeah,
0: you're saying that that's the same thing as what Sean Wade did. Like it's not, they're completely different things. I mean, Sean Wade was not trying to hit Trevor Lawrence's helmet with his helmet. Like he was trying to make a tackle. Now, should have he like led with his head? No, absolutely not. And he deserves to get penalized for that kicked out of the game and saying that he did the same thing that this other kid did where he like ran three yards and like launched into another dude's, you know, helmet. No, it's not the same thing. And I just, there's gotta be room. There's gotta be room there for a better interpretation of the rules. So I don't know. It just sucks. And that's what I'm saying. Like there's just a lot of things that you felt were kind of taken away from you. And I know a lot of, you know, people are coming back at Ohio state fans like, well, what about Miami and what about the spot? And they, oh, yeah. And I, and that's fine. Look, I, I get I get you're gonna get that as a you know college football fan. You're gonna bring that up. But dumb stuff I've, happening in the past, which by the I, way, all all correct calls on the other, you know, just just to verify that that I'm not I'm not advocating or saying that those are incorrect that <laughs> you know Brooklyn High State. Yeah, way. Yeah, controversial. No. I have, a, I have a wrestling
1: I have a wrestling fan from another team, even you know, l- listeners of the program know I'm I'm the, the resident wrestling guy at 11 yeah. Warriors, And I I had a guy uh um tweeted me earlier today and he's like well are you mad about the the, the call to let logan steber you know beat um oliver in the ncaa I'm like hey that was like seven years ago let it go you know i mean this is something to happen right. long. like i wasn't covering i wanted to respond and be like oh i wasn't covering the beat then so shrug emoji but <laughs> 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 like yeah i get it i get it you're trying to find every axe to grind possible the other guy that uh, tweeted me another another wrestling fan he's like so have calls ever gone Ohio State's way, you know, to the detriment of a of another team. No, like, yeah. I'm like I'm like, I'm I'll allow that it's a possibility that could have happened maybe, you know, sometime before I was born, but <laughs>
0: I am mm, yeah, I mean, it's, the, I guess what I'm bothered about is that people are treating it as just like, well, them's the breaks. And I'm like, yeah, that does happen in college football, right? There are going to be times when, you know, certain things happen your way and then I'll help you out. I'm not, I'm not saying that doesn't happen. I'm not saying Ohio state's never benefited from that, but this is more of a rules issue. This is something where like, this is a systemic, a systemic problem within the sport and it bit Ohio state in the ass this game, but it could bite anybody else. In any other game, this is not something that's unique to Ohio State or that particular game. It's it's a problem with how the calls are done, and you know, it, it. Like I said, when you've got a really great game like that, that's why it it sucks because it's not a situation where like, oh, Ohio State lost by forty, so you know, whatever. This is something that impacted the outcome of a really important game, and it's not it, it's a, it's it doesn't sit well. And I'm sure there's a lot of fan bases who are gloating about that, but it sucks. So shut up yep don't at me (laughs) um so that's you know the game obviously didn't turn out the way you wanted but hey you know you sit down you wake up the next morning uh, theoretically the sun rises although in columbus we couldn't tell because it was super gray and overcast and rainy um and you're like you know what i'm gonna sit down some high state basketball i'm gonna watch them just shithouse virginia west virginia and you know huggy bear and it'll be great and then they come out and have 22 turnovers Uh, appendix explodes on court um it didn't actually do that but he's not feeling well i guess he threw up before and after the games that's cool and they lose and it's just and they're in cleveland which is you know i was expecting i was listening to part of it on the radio and i was expecting it to be kind of like you know, a partisan Ohio State crowd, and it was like 50-50, which I was I did not because all that. of the fans were in yeah. Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, and so it was. You know, it, it sucked that I thought Ohio State would just go in there, kind of like swagger and, and beat the living hell out of the Mountaineers, and that obviously didn't happen. So this is not, as you mentioned at the top of this, this is not a great weekend for Ohio State sports. And look, I, you know, the turnovers they've been getting worse for the basketball team. They got to kind of lock, lock that down a little bit. Um, I think some players are a little ailing a little bit aside from, uh, Kyle. Um, but yeah, that blew, that, that was not fun either. <laughs> that sucked. <laughs> High so State falls
1: to number five after the loss. Yeah. Um, I, I think terrible. that's, o- I think that's okay. I think this team's still, uh, you know, contender for a one seed in the, in the tournament. And I think, uh, you know, fair to drop them. Um, when you look at the teams ahead of them, okay, Gonzaga, Duke, Kansas fine. I haven't really watched Oregon play, um, yet to see that was the, that's the team that, um, you know, kind of jumped from six to four ahead of them. Ohio state falling three spots. So, you know, you're, this still has been a tremendous run. Ohio state now 11 and two, um, on the season. And I think they're, they're going to easily get to 20 some wins, um, and, and make noise in both postseason tournaments. I, you know, you don't like you don't like to see um, you know what happened against Huggy Bear, but I, I like the comment from our own Chris Lauterbach who he said I kind of wish you know they'd schedule a team like West Virginia every year because you know it's going to be this kind of defensive slugfest, right? And and that's you know this schedule actually, you and know, I have talked about it some more. I mean, it's really set up nicely to get this team ready for conference play. Uh, even with a couple of it, it, because nobody college basketball, you don't really care about losses like this, this early in the season, right? It's not like Ohio state suddenly, um, you know, not going to be in contention for a one or okay a two seed even, um, because they lost to West Virginia, West Virginia, a good ball club, uh, it's a huggy bear, you know, so you can say, okay, you expect them to win some games like this to pull off some upsets and so on and so forth. But I, I think it's, it's great for the team to get that kind of contest early, uh, or, or midway through the season. I guess we could say midway through the season now. Um, and I think it'll play dividends on down the road. You hope Kyle Young's okay and comes back because that, uh, that was kind of disconcerting when I saw, I heard Holtman first, you know, in the co- press conference saying he'd been sick before and after the game. And then not long after that, news breaks that he's, you know, appendix surgery or whatnot. i was like, oh, yeah. okay, that's basically played idea. through appendicitis, suboptimal, but that's a basketball guy right there
0: yeah i mean and good for him for coming out and playing and, and playing fairly well which i thought was pretty wild that he was able to to get through that um so yeah that's that was our weekend it, it not not super fun and then of course uh the bengals beat the browns which is great um i <laughs> don't really actually that was the best of both poss- both poss- both possible worlds if you're a browns or bengals fan and then as we mentioned you know cbj did not have a great time so not great but here's what i want to talk about kind of going through the to the future first of all i'm not super stoked about football for the next couple of weeks there's like a there's a couple bowls going on right now you know allegedly yeah allegedly i i'm not i'm really not paying attention to them and i feel really sad about that because this is normally the time where i'm like super stoked to watch as much college football as i possibly can and now i'm just kind of like meh on everything because they just got a sour taste in your mouth um which i'm not you know that 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 just adds to my frustration so what I'm going to do instead is really this is what I've been thinking about honestly before the you know season even started to come to a close because to me what Ryan Day's biggest challenge is going to be going forward is not you know can I scheme right like am I good coach the proof is in the pudding I think at this point I think Ryan Day knows how to you know, run a team. I think he knows how to create an offense and figure out what works best for his players. I'm not worried about any of that going forward. What I am worried about is coaching personnel and whether he can sustain recruiting. Now, in the second, the latter part of that, seems like he's doing pretty well, right? We just saw that where, um, you know, officially that they're ranked number one for the 2021 recruiting class. Now, obviously that could change quite a bit, right? Because, you know, right now we're looking at seven commits for 2021 and and that's gonna, you know, that's gonna obviously change enormously in the next few months and years. But um, the one that I'm a little worried about is honestly the coaching personnel stuff. And I don't know. I mean, you you look at Yurchich, he's going to Texas, um, you know, Obviously, Halfley is leaving, going to Boston College. Are you worried that Ryan Day is going to struggle finding replacements for those coaches, well, and, would, and maybe future coaches?
1: I would, I would go back to you know the Urban Meyer era, and it seemed like the years that Urban had uh challenges with staff transitions that that's where you saw things kind of kind of sputter and you go back and you saw okay when texas tom herman leaves and and you bring in tim beck and the offense kind of goes to hell in a handbasket and right and pretty good on the defensive side of the ball and that you know you had a pretty good run with with uh chris ash and 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 greg chiano actually was good before he was bad um <laughs> yeah you know, know, I mean, it wasn't like Shiano's defenses were horrible from the outset, right? It was just more like (laughs) the latter, the latter years where it was like, what is this? They're the dum-dums instead of the silver bullets. But my impression from the get-go is that people still want to come to Ohio State. And, you know, right now, Ryan Day doesn't have the coaching tree, obviously, that Urban Meyer did. Urban Meyer was, was clearly a, Uh, a draw for people that wanted to come and and study under him and be part of that that experience but Ohio State still you know the the money and the resources are there clearly you know you're going to be coaching um, the best players in the country you know the I think the system people now look and say okay Ohio State is up there with Alabama and Clemson and uh, insert other SEC flavor of the week um, team in there if that's Georgia or LSU or whatnot the, the recruits want to come to Ohio State, the the talent and the resources and the spotlight. So that's the other thing about coming to Ohio State. You know you're going to have your chance. Look at Jeff Hathaway. He was here one year. He's head coach at Boston College. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the kind of opportunity that being a successful assistant at Ohio State provides. So I, I think he's going to be able to do that. I'm really interested to see who he brings in to replace Halfley, so we was Yurchich going. I don't think Yurchich leaving is a big issue because Ryan Day's still the head coach. So he's he's the quarterback whisper. He's the quarterback guru. Um, so I'm not super like worried about that particular replacement. Um, I think there's some room to elevate maybe a Brian Hartline as passing game coordinator or whatnot, and uh, that makes a lot of sense because he certainly is has done. Extremely well um, as a as a position coach and proved to be one of the best recruiters. That's the biggest question: is can he hire people who recruit at the level Ohio State needs them to? Yeah, certainly the on the field part of it's important too, but you know the Jimmies and Joes are maybe more important than the X's and O's these days. Um, so I'm I'm interested to see what he does with the Halfley replacement to me that's the that's the bigger question of the staff openings right now
0: yeah and you know as we've talked about i mean halfley is a guy that we've all really really liked uh since he came to columbus and you know performed that job just in in part because i think everybody knew that he was going to be a, the kind of guy that was going to take one of those head coaching jobs at some point um i mean if you can bring in a guy like carrie Holmes, that would be cool you know bring him back and, and say okay this is your deal i don't know i i feel like honestly like that's another one of those situations where we were like the dude and you know he had a successful position group so let's maybe bring him in and bump him up i, I don't know necessarily if that's the move um I, I, to me it's got to be a schematic fit you want to have somebody who knows exactly what they're doing and is is really sharp and on the ball maybe colmes is that dude i don't know but I'm just saying it shouldn't just be limited to a guy that you like and know, you know what I mean? Because that was what got urban Meyer into trouble often. <laughs> so yeah, yeah and that's as, and as that's much exactly talent as we right. brought in. There were a number of guys that were like, Hmm, maybe, maybe you shouldn't hire the guy who's your best man. I don't know. That's just, yeah,
1: like, that, how- that's, that's I exactly. And I got off track when I, I mentioned that, uh, you know, a, a moment ago that you go back to the urban Meyer experiment. It's when he had even at Florida, right. It was when some of his best assistants left, that that things got kind of got um, kind of got dodgy. So I, I think the Combs hire, um, if it happens, if if that's really a thing, is interesting. One universally beloved by Ohio State fans. Ohio State sure. fans will do cartwheels in the street um, if if he comes back to Columbus. One of the best recruiters um, on the staff during his time yep. at Ohio State. I think there's very little question about that. And I think might might have been Joshua Perry, but but one of the former players uh, I follow on Twitter commented and said you know combs coached 100 first rounders um you know i mean that's you know how many whatever the number actually is but his his position uh i mean it it became best in america you know on his watch right like that's sort of when they adopted that mantra and it's it's stuck so you know you if it fits schematically that's the good question Then, then the other issue to me with a lot of these coaches i love guys like larry johnson who you know, have found the serenity to say, I am the best in the business at this position. Right. And I don't need to be a defensive coordinator or, or a head coach or whatnot. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to, I'm going to be happy as a pig in mud to put a first round draft pick into the NFL every single year until I finally hang up my whistle. And so, you know, I, I always find that really interesting. Are there people out there like that or is it always this treadmill of the best people uh, want to become a head coach someday? Are there people out there like Larry Johnson, who, who you know, he can be brought back into the fold. Um, are there other, you know, for a while there, I joked, it was like urban Myers Island of uh, rehabilitated former head coaches. Cause you had Shiano and Kevin Wilson and, you know, folks like that on the staff. Okay. Are there other people like that who are going to come back into the fold or potentially be candidates out there? I, I don't know. That's, this this will be the really interesting hire to me. I'm I'm less interested in um, seeing what happens with the Yurchich replacement than I am the Halfley one, just for that reason because. Right. That this defense, although you could make the argument that's not that big a deal because Madison, um, you know, has (laughs) has done, uh, you know, his his bit as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, Halfley was the only guy who was a part of this defensive
0: resurgence. Right. And, And it'd be unfair to not mention Madison, because obviously, I mean, the guy's not chopped liver. He knows what he's doing. He's an incredibly experienced defensive coach. He's really good. But that's kind of what I'm saying with scheme. Like, you can't find a guy and just say, okay, we really like this dude. you got to find a guy who's able, like, really on the same page as Madison and be able to construct something together. Because that's, like, that's what I think made the defense work so well this past season was you had a guy like Halfley and Madison who were on the same page. They knew exactly what they wanted to do and they were able to implement it really well. We've seen in the past where you have, you know, two offensive coaches who have different philosophies about what they want to do and how they want to approach the offense. It just doesn't work when you're trying to incorporate two different things and different styles and what you know high state does and they're they're shifting every other time or you you wouldn't go to zone demand zone demand zone demand every single other play it's not doesn't work that way so you got to find somebody who meshes well with the staff that's already in place and it's a hard thing to do i mean halfley's a cool guy and everybody likes him and i think that helps you when you're in that kind of situation i don't know who else they could do and you know i don't know it's interesting to me because you look at urban Meyers coaching tree and it was just one of those situations like, okay, we'll just take this guy. We'll take this guy. We'll take this guy and we'll just figure out it, you know, in in the, in the next, you know, two or three months, but this is a different situation for Ryan day. He's kind of got to sell himself and he's got to sell the program a little bit. With that said, when we talk about urban Meyer, his son-in-law, Corey Dennis is a guy at Colorado state who is being thought of as, you know, a replacement, not on the defensive side, but you know, maybe somebody who might come in and, do things for uh, the Buckeye. So, I, I mean, we'll see what happens. We'll see how it progresses. But um, I don't know. To me, this is the biggest story. And not just, obviously, with coaching personnel, with the players as well. J.K. Dobbins just announced for the draft, as pretty much everybody in the universe thought he would. Um, guys like Sean Wade very may well uh, announced for the draft here in the next few days. So, you know, it's just one of those things where there's going to be a lot of change with Ohio State, and it's going to be Ryan Day's team 100%, and you got to fill those holes. And and that's really what makes a good team stay good. That's what makes a great team continue to be great, that they're able to just roll it over. And, um, yeah, I've seen a lot of coaches come in in really great situations, and it falls apart because they're not able to sustain it. So I don't don't think it's going to be Ryan Day, but that's his challenge. Who are your big questions, uh, you know, as far
1: as the, the who, who stays, who goes, who do you see as being people that uh, you're kind of watching? Uh, the, the news we saw right here about the time we were airings so that uh, I think Sean Wade's having a, a ceremony to announce his decision. <laughs> you don't usually have
0: a ceremony to announce that you're not doing anything.
1: Cardale Jones would like uh, would like a word, sir. Well, uh, that's true.
0: And that and that was by the way, that was hilarious. And that is the most uniquely Cardale thing that I think he totally on brand. Yeah, incredibly on brand for Cardell, which I love. But yeah, I don't I don't think Sean Wade's necessarily that dude. I think he's going to he's going to head out. Which again, you get money and you're projected as like a first or second round pick and hell go for it. Yeah, um, I, mean, I, I think you, think you and I
1: agree like get paid if if you can, not you know, that you if you're going to be a first or second rounder, go get that money. I don't know if I I don't know how high I think. He's a guy I think maybe could improve his draft stock. He could be a first rounder. He could become yeah. one.
0: No, I agree. I, I think he could improve his draft stock. I think he's at the point where he's okay with like not necessarily doing that and just kind of taking the money. But that's you know that's fine. I my biggest thing is is that you've got a lot of guys who I don't know. I mean, especially in the defense, you got a lot of really like seniors. You got a lot of juniors. A lot of got to do a lot of dudes who kind of like were the glue, particularly Sean Wade. Um that kind of made everything work out. And honestly, even if you lose a guy uh, you know, to the NFL, you've got several guys who are graduating that you know you have to replace. You know what I mean? It's like to me, yeah. the, the bigger losses are the ones that we already knew were coming, right? right? The 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 people that just, you know, you can't avoid. I mean, even include, you know, Chase Young into that mix because obviously he's he's yeah. done. But guys like Okuda, he's gonna be a you know, top ten pick probably, top fifteen yeah, pick. For sure. Um those are the things that have always been there and that's I guess back to my point about you know making sure you have the right players and things like that um Ryan Day has known this is coming for a long time and so that's where as a coach you have to make sure that you have contingencies in place to make sure that you're going to be able to fill those holes really quickly there's been some talk about for instance you know looking at a transfer uh to help out the running back position um I don't know I mean I that to me seems odd, considering you've got 500 running backs on the roster. Um, but I don't know, man. Like it, to me, that's that's where the work is going to be done in the next few weeks. But yeah, the worst losses are the ones I think that are the ones that we kind of expected.
1: You look at the uh, draft boards. I think I just pulled up. CBS Sports. Uh, I don't know who's. I don't know which analyst this is that uh, does CBS Sports one, but. Chase Young at uh, number one, Jeff Okuda at number three um okay. you know that that won't be surprising at all they've got sean wade coming in at the 53rd overall pick dobbins right. at 55 um I, I feel like maybe that's a little low for dobbins I think it's extremely low for dobbins I yeah think i mean if that. you got him at 55 i feel like that's a value pick <laughs> for yeah. sure i don't think um, i mean i
0: think he'll be like early second round or something like that but 55 seems pretty low where's devon hamilton
1: graduating they've got tim going uh as the 89th overall pick uh and that's that's it on the top one hundred picks on that particular draft board and that was that's c b s sports that's just one, but yeah I mean those are i mean that just right there are four or five guys that uh yeah <laughs> are pretty 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 darn important to this football team
0: right, and that's what I'm saying, like you know those dudes are probably out, so if that's the case, you know you better have a plan already in place to 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 deal with it and that's and that's you know again that's part of football It's part of college football that's okay. But to me, that's really where the friction comes, um, you know, when you're trying to maintain, you know, a high level of excellence in your program. You got to be ready for it. And so I don't I don't think there's going to be a lot of huge surprises. I think Wade might be, you know, the one that, that people are really, you know, a little salty about. But other than that, I, you know, it's the people who are leaving are the ones that you would expect. It, it's just it's going to be hard dealing with it. So. I will say the the optimist in me though says that the offense next year is going to be excellent. And the wide receivers that you've got coming back, I mean, yes, you're losing some, but the wide receivers that you have coming back are all going to be top notch. Um, you know, Wilson just looks like an absolute superstar in the making. You've already got a guy in the lobby. who's excellent. Uh, it's not going to be quite as deep, but they're just going to be really, really good. So th- there are definitely bright spots I think to, you know, check out looking forward and that's and that's good that's what you want you want to be able to have something that you can kind of rely on um you know coming off a season where you're going to lose a lot of leadership uh, on both sides of the ball so and they're
1: going to be hungry i mean this could be like a fat kid at the ponderosa buffet uh there's a nice piece kevin put together social media reactions from the current players talking about this loss um, right. You know, Garrett Wilson said uh, next year, everybody's in trouble. We'll be back. Yeah. I mean, those, those guys are doing that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they are, you know, they are Munford. It says, you know, just know we're coming back. Uh, I mean, you go down through, um, you know, w- w- Wyatt Davis, another one. I mean, there are several of them that are like, look, this ain't going to be it. Justin Fields is going to be even better next year than he was this year. I think, you know, he continues to grow and mature, they had a fantastic first year as a Buckeye, and you would expect that uh, kind of that second year jump. That's the other thing that's really interesting. When you talk about coaches at Ohio State, you know, it's their second year. You go back, Jim Tressel. you go back, Urban Meyer, it's their second year when they win their national championship. So yeah. Ryan Day's second year,
0: does he make that sophomore jump? I think there's a real possibility. Yeah, there's a lot in place that can be, I think, taken to a next level and and hopefully they find the personnel and the players that can get them there. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch evolve over the next few months and and weeks and maybe even just days, honestly, because I think a lot of news will probably come out really quickly in between now and the national championship. Um so that's you know it is what it is it sucks that it comes after a loss but it's like i said it's a fascinating part of the process of building a football program. Let's go ahead and go ahead and ask us anything. Remember ask us anything is sponsored by the dry goods store uh at drygoods.11warriors.com shirts hats stickers all kinds of stuff. Uh, at drygoods.11warriors.com and if you want to send us a question to ask us anything please go ahead and do so to uh, dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11 dubcast on twitter let's go ahead and start with uh alvin uh our good friend alvin asks us just basically do we have a legitimate gripe for these calls i want to we we discussed this but i want to ask you this i want to ask you another question about um, those particularly, uh, you know, vexing calls that we saw on the field. Are these going to be the kind of things that Ohio state fans think about or remember the way that other fan bases do for like years and years? Do you think this is one of those things that we just don't let go? There's a, there's an interesting thread
1: I was following. Um, I don't remember who it is, but somebody, one of the national media types made the comment, you know, every fan base has their, thing that they're particularly neurotic about you know yeah michigan fans Absolutely. are super yeah. they're super neurotic about being this you know uh bastion of of academic purity and and that no other university and college major college football holds themselves to the rigorous academic standards right this his comment was you know ohio state fans buy and whole hog to the ESPN hates us conspiracy theories and, and so on and so forth. So I think every fan base has something like that, that they're just batshit crazy about. Right. Uh, <laughs> will it be these particular calls? I don't know. I mean, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I mean, this could be, this could be one of those things that yeah. five years from now we're still like, hey, you guys remember that time that SEC officiating crew really boned us in the Fiesta Bowl? Like that—that that could be. It—it it might be. I think it depends on what happens next. So, right. like, if you think about Michigan and the spot, you know, and they're still griping at the spot, you know. <laughs> I would just like to add, by the way, the spot was good. That's right. Um, but but, but you know we're what three years past that, and that that still comes up regularly um on social media and in the comments and so on I, I think it's because nothing good has happened for those people exactly since. exactly so if Ohio State comes back next year and wins a national championship then it just becomes part of the right you know, just sort of becomes part of the build-up
0: right and, and that's exactly how I feel about it the reason why Miami fans just harped on you know the flag for years and years and years and years and years and the reason why you know that Terry Porter was a college referee at any point in time, or you've ever heard that name, is because they wouldn't shut up about it. Because they had nothing else to talk about. They had right. nothing to talk about. Miami as a program just went to the, you know, the crapper. And J- Jim you know, Tressel Dan-
1: ended Larry Coker's career and he Miami's End- football relevance. In that's one right. Night. He
0: did, and that's the thing. Like. You know, if you're part of a fan base that, that remembers this thing to talk about, it's because you have nothing else positive to talk about to kind of like replace that memory. So for them, that's the most distinctive recent thing that they could, you know, kind of think about. And um hopefully that doesn't happen to Ohio State. Hopefully it doesn't become a touchstone where we're constantly referring back to it because that would mean that nothing good had happened in the interim. So I don't expect that to be the case. I think, you know, something, you know, next season should be pretty cool and Ohio State should be able to erase some of those memories by hopefully beating some really good teams. Uh, this next question here, this is from Brian. Brian basically wants to know, uh, which, so uh, you know, because Clemson basically slept walk through a really crappy ACC, didn't have any super significant out-of-conference games, uh, although they almost lost one, um, but otherwise it's a pretty boring game. Or a pretty boring season for them. And Ohio State obviously had to play, you know, kind of a gauntlet at the end of the season and whatnot. He wants to know would you rather have had the season that Ohio State just had or a season that Clemson just had, just kind of coasting and then winning the big one?
1: I would always take winning the big one over. Yeah, some, man. You remember those? Because because here's the thing. You know, five degree, years, yeah. Five years from now, we're not going to be talking about insert, you know, whichever. I mean, we're not even going to be talking about the Big Ten Championship. game. You know which Big Ten Championship game we still talk about? Fifty nine to zero. That's why. Great. Why do we talk about that game? One, it was an unearthly ass kicking. And two, it was the spark that put Ohio State into the playoff right. and kicked off the most improbable three game stretch in college football history. Right. Like that's. That's why we talk about that game. Otherwise, like, tell me three other Big Ten championship games you want to talk about. Like, I I don't know. You remember kind of these big moments. Uh, Bill Connolly had a nice piece uh, at ESPN where he's he's using uh, the metaphor of a boxing match, and he kind of broke down the, the Fiesta Bowl into 12 rounds. But at the beginning of the column, he makes this analogy where he says, you know, we boil these games down to one moment, like these great games. And he uses some great examples, um, you know, and and you could go back to that Miami game as as one, like the Miami fans will always remember that pass interference call and forget everything that happened before that, right? Like right. you've just boiled that game down to one. Well, that wasn't the only thing that happened in that game, right? Like that wasn't the only reason that one team won and one team lost, but that's the thing that you remember. So I, I just um, I'm, uh, you you tend to lose. I think big, you know, big picture. So that's why I said go back to the, the original question. Yeah, I'd take win in the big win any day. Of the weekend twice on Sunday. Now here's the catch. The catch is, if Clemson wasn't in the position where they have been in the playoff, what every single year since it existed they couldn't have gotten in with that schedule. Like to right. get in with that schedule, you have to one, be a national brand. That means being Ohio state, Alabama, you know, LSU or Georgia. Like you have to be a big brand mm-hmm. and, and you have to have some other cachet. So Clemson, everybody knows their talent is littered with four and five star players. So that the talent is clearly there. And two, they're the defending national champions. I'm not sure you know, that they they would have had the same benefit of the doubt. And they're undefeated. I mean, that's the other thing, too, right? Like, being undefeated is very hard. How many undefeated teams were there in college football this season? Yeah.
0: No, I look, I, I'm with you, man. Like, if you have the opportunity to, like, win it all and win the big one, then, yeah. Do that. How boring the regular season was. And here's the other thing. Like, if you don't have that ability, you know, if you're not, you know, you win – most of your games or something like you win, you know, you lose a couple, one or two or something like that, and there's no way for you to actually get into the college football playoff, then hell yeah, I want a crazy exciting season. But if I know that the team that I root for is going to win every game, I hope it's by 50 points and they're playing the crappiest teams possible if I know that they're going to be in the playoff and, and possibly win the national championship. and that And that sucks. I mean, that's a testament to how the system's set up, I guess. But like, yeah, I don't need... <laughs> I don't need the heart troubles that come with, like, a 2002 season. You know what I mean? Like, I'm acutely aware of how every game that season was. And that was awesome because you won it all at the end. But if you hadn't, if you hadn't won it all and hadn't won a national championship, that would have been horrible. You would have felt like, you know, that that would have felt like the entire season was for nothing. Like, you just experienced weekly heart attacks for no reason. So if you can guarantee me a championship, then yeah, I want every game to be boring as hell. I don't care because all all that's gonna matter is that last game. If you can't, then yeah, I kind of want an exciting season. So it, I think it, it kinda, just depends what the expectations are. You know, it also reminds me there was a there was an interesting comment, I think it was
1: Jake Ballard made on Twitter. He said one of the sad things is this is one of the best Ohio State teams of of our lifetimes. We're all roughly the same age, let's say. You know, this is one of the best Ohio State teams of our of our lifetime. And they'll be more or less forgotten because they didn't win a right. big one. And people kind of jumped on him about that. And he said, think about it. He's always like, I lost two national championships. Like you don't talk about those teams. Right. You don't, at least not in that set. What you, what do you talk about without that other six team? You say, Well, you talk about Troy Smith eating too many in and out burgers. That's what you talk about. Or you, you know, yeah. the 2015 team. We we think, okay, maybe the most talented team of, of the decade and you say okay what do you talk about there well they kind of got fat and happy and entitled and 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 lost one they couldn't afford to lose so you you know you drill these things down in the in the time after uh to those one or two things i do think you know back to the heart of this question about clemson season i do think that it's a bit ridiculous that you know, some conferences don't play the nine conference game schedule, ACC, SEC. Some teams refuse to schedule marquee out of conference matchups or, you know, play chicken shit Sunday, or we joked about Clemson playing Wofford 13 times this year, you know, that you you can't change your conference, right? I mean, you can, but you're not going to change your conference foes. You're, You're not suddenly going to make Miami be good again. You're not suddenly going to make um, you know, NC state, a world beater, you know, that sort of thing. So, you know, go out and play some non-conference games They they didn't do that. They're not going to do that. They don't need to do that. Um, it's annoying to those of us who are rooting for teams who are doing those things, but as the kids say these days, it is what it is.
0: Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing, like it really is, you know, I think it's just kind of a function of how college football exists these days. And, I don't know. I mean, you want to, you want to have a season where everybody is playing everybody who's good and everybody else is good is like, you know, trying to, you know, boost or or boost a resume as much as they can. That's not really how you get in the playoff anymore. So, (laughs) you know, and that's, and I think, I think what people have been saying is like, well, you know, how good are they really? Well, Clemson's apparently still really damn good. So they're still really good. Right. So when Alabama has a really crappy, you know, schedule or whatever. And, and Clemson's playing like the 85th ranked, you know, overall schedule. Apparently that doesn't hurt them all that much. Um, and as long as it doesn't, they're going to continue doing it that way. So, you know, yeah, you know this, this, is, but I want to see championships of, and I get it.
1: This is one of the, I think the bigger questions, like, you know, as we kind of queue up the Bob Seeger and turn the page from this game, uh, people had a really good time during the LSU Choke, Oklahoma game um right. talking about like well gee guess we don't really need to expand the playoff eight teams do we ha 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 this year was not a great uh example to use either pro or con for um for that you basically had three really great teams alabama would have been fine you know had the injury to Tua not happened so maybe you would have had four you know really great teams and instead of three i you know who knows we'll see um but this this kind of question of uh well was was clemson really good or not they got the benefit of the doubt because people that mattered sort of assumed they were still yeah. good even though you really didn't have uh well, a they, good were, measuring you know, they stick. were defending
0: national championships and they had right. the Heisman winner and all that kind of stuff but, so but
1: everybody right. doesn't get that benefit of the doubt no. you know so that's that's one of those things that i do think makes the playoff discussion whether it's uh you know, six team playoff with a first round buy, if it's uh full on eight team playoff. I mean, I do think that makes it interesting because while this year you didn't have a really good argument that somebody got left out that should have been, there have been plenty of years where, you. and so there, I, I'm still not sure that we found just the right way to do this. It's probably better than it was before the playoff. And these playoff games have been you know, for the most part, enjoyable. Yes. They haven't necessarily all been instant classics, um, but it hasn't been bad for the sport per se. But I think there's a lot of questions you can,
0: you can ask moving forward of is this is, have we really hit on the secret sauce yet? Yeah. And I would agree with that. Um, So that's ask us anything. Keep sending those in. Uh, We'll keep commiserating with your, your frustration. Uh, Last thing before we get out of here, look, football may be over that stinks but we still got basketball we're going to be talking about that wisconsin's uh you know going to be uh the next opponent on the third that'll be nice hopefully ohio state can can kind of get back on track there and then you've got some uh you got a big game against maryland you're going to play indiana which has got a really good record right now so there's going to be a lot going on with ohio state basketball wrestling of course and your wheelhouse that's that's be heating up here pretty soon so i, would I mean be,
1: uh i would be remiss if i didn't give the shout out to say that uh, monday january 6th so we're we're coming fast monday yeah. evening seven o'clock at cavelli center um the buckeyes host arizona state arizona state is uh is going to be a fantastic duel that that's uh, one of the the marquee matchups yet on this year's schedule and the i would say the best um home duel yet on the schedule because ohio state wrestles Iowa uh, Minnesota and Penn State all on the road this year uh, Nebraska as well those are all um, road meets this year so yep. Arizona State is going to be televised nationally um, Monday night I think on Fox Sports one actually nice. so if you you know you can get tickets to Cavelli I would totally do that it's going to be electric um, seven o'clock Monday night if you can't it's going to be on FS1 uh, it's really cool to see um, wrestling matches getting nationally televised more and more that one's going to be a great one
0: yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. And by the way, if you want to want to see a guy who's even more pissed about the result of the <laughs> of the of the football game of the Fiesta Bowl than you are, Tom Ryan's Twitter feed is Friend is of the
1: Program, Tom Ryan.
0: Man, I, I yeah, what a, what a great dude. Um so yeah, definitely check that out. It's it's a good time always to see the the wrestling program, which of course is, you know, so amazing right now. Um and we'll see y'all next week and hopefully we'll be in a little slightly better moods. But until then, I'm Johnny And I'm Andy, and we'll see you next time.